how has your new year been? How has the past 15 days been? For most of us, I would think, or I would hope, nothing major really happened. Right? It's only been 15 days, right? Hopefully everything has been smooth sailing, everything has been status quo, but I imagine perhaps for some of you, you might not be there. You might have already faced some struggles, right? My hope for you is that your 2023 is filled with joy and blessings and good times always. But as I, as I shared uh, in my sermon a few weeks ago, we know having lived this life that that's not going to be the case, that hardships will come up in our lives. And so we need to encourage each other. That's what I told you two weeks ago in the first sermon of the year. At that time, if you remember, I spoke about the coming day of the Lord, and Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to tell each other, don't worry about it, don't fear that day, but encourage each other to stand tall when that day comes. Stand tall through your trials, and eventually you'll come through it. Living as long as we have, we know that we'll have good days and bad days, good seasons and bad seasons. But now, how do you react to those seasons? How do you react to those times? What does the scripture say on how we should react to those times? And what benefits will we have when we grow through those times? And that is what we're going to be looking at today. Our passage begins by telling us the name of the author of this book, as well as who he is writing to. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. The first verse of our passage gives us the author and the audience to which this epistle has been written to. It tells us the author is James, and scholars have concluded that out of all the possible Jameses that we see in the Bible that could be the author of this book, that most likely it is Jesus' younger brother, James, or more specifically, Jesus' younger half-brother, because Jesus' father was God, James' father was Joseph. The Bible tells us that the Lord had siblings, right? Mark chapter 6, verse 3 lists names of Jesus' family members, including this very James. James is the brother of Jesus, and he calls himself a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or the Jewish Christians dispersed around the known world of that time. And this James, he knew something about suffering, right? I would think a lot of Christians during this day and age knew something about suffering. James grew up not believing that his brother was the Christ. He doubted in that. He wasn't so sure about that. But later, after his conversion, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And as leader, he had the burden of leading the church, making decisions, watching and hearing of the Christians he knew about, that he loved about, being persecuted, being imprisoned, or even killed for their very faith. Years later, James would die, when he died, he suffered as well. The legend of his death, the writings of his death, tells us that he was martyred by being thrown off the highest pinnacle of the temple. They threw him off. But after he fell, he didn't die. They say he lived, he survived the fall, and so the people gathered around him and started to stone him. Right? All the while, he reacted, as legend says, the same way Stephen did. While he was being killed, he prayed 
that God would forgive the people who was doing this to him. And even the stoning didn't kill him. So eventually a man came with a club and hit him over the head, and that was the fatal blow that he received. So James knew of suffering in his adult life. He knew about suffering, or not this time, but he would experience that suffering in his death. And perhaps even as a child, James may have suffered. Have you ever thought about what it might be like being the younger brother of Jesus? Right? The pressure that that might have come with? Right? Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. But James was human like us. He was probably sinful. And every time he messes up, his parents will come to him and say something like, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? I'm just kidding. Right? I heard that somewhere. I thought that was very funny. Right? The pressure of being James. Be more like your brother Jesus. Right? We know that Christians throughout time, in biblical times, and even for us today, we suffer because of our faith. And so James has the authority to write about this topic. He can write how you should react. He can write about how we should be he could write about the benefits of it because he's seen it and he lived through it, right? Verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Consider trials as joy. And look at what James says. James is saying, you will face trials, right? He doesn't say, count it as joy if you face trials. He says, count it as, tro- tri- uh, count it as joy when you face trials, meaning he knows hardships will come up in your life. Our lives will be chock full of trials and tribulations and sufferings of various kinds. We have probably heard this time and time again. You've heard from your various pastors that you've been growing up and here at NCF, you'll face difficulties in life. You've read about it in the Bible. I will face difficulties in life. When we face these trials, though, they're probably not joyful. We don't see happiness in them. We're not like, oh, yes, another something I got to go through. Thank you, God. Right? That's not our reaction. But we know that once we come out of it, once we get through those trials, we could look back and see, ah, God was there. Oh, this was the lessons that I had to learn through this time of, quote, unquote, suffering. And that's why there is this joy. This should remind us that when the next trial comes, God will be there also. And we take that as joy. By no means am I telling you, go seek out hardships in life. right? Go seek out struggles in life. Make your life harder. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But know that suffering will come because we are humans living in a sinful, fallen world. And thus, you need to prepare for it. Verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Our faith is always tested. I gave a sermon last year where I spoke about God testing Abraham's faith by having him sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain. And at that time, I shared that the testing of our faith is not to hurt us, right? When God tests our faith, it's not to hurt us. It's not to make us lose our faith, but rather it is to strengthen our faith, to make us stronger. I also shared at that time how tests in life or tests of any kind are passable or they should be passable, right? I gave some kind of example of like when you're in school and you have a math test coming up, even though you might not know the exact questions that will be on your math test, if you've studied, you will know what equations you need to use to answer those questions, right? 
the teacher gives you tests on topics that you sh they already covered, that you should already know about. So if you think about it then, if you're studying, if you know things well, you should be able to pass the tests. Right? It's the same for us when we face the test of our faith. If we are prepared for it, if we have a strong relationship with God, if we have strong Christian friends who encourage us, if we know the word and in the word daily, we will be able to pass the trials of faith in life. It will produce within us steadfastness, a life of faithful endurance amid the afflictions that we have. So remember, testing is to help us grow our faith, and trials help us to mature that faith. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, when we endure through this life, as we work in our sanctification, to become more holy each day, the hope is we get closer and closer to becoming perfect. We have to work on it. You know, we'll never reach perfection, not until Jesus returns and we join our Heavenly Father in his kingdom, but we should be maturing. We should be changing. We should be working out our Christian faith and growing to become more like him each and every day. And I ask you, Christian, are you doing that? Are you striving to become better each and every day? Are you working on your faith as much as you work out your physical bodies, as much as you work out advancing in your careers? You need to be working out your faith. Verse 5 says, if, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, when you face difficulty in life, difficulties in life, what do you ask God for? If something comes up in your life, a hardship comes up in life, what do you pray about? What do you say? I don't think most of us will probably say, God, end this now. End this hardship now, right? Take away this difficulty. God, end this suffering. That's probably what we pray about. Shorten the length of my suffering. But if you ask, if you ask James the same question, right, what you should pray for in suffering, James's answer is, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Now, why wisdom? Out of all the things we could have asked for, why does James say wisdom as opposed to God and my suffering? Right? It comes back to the whole maturing aspect. The maturing aspect. The maturing of our faith. If you faced suffering and ask God to take away your suffering instantaneously, what would you have learned? He's a good God? Definitely. You'll probably learn that. But did it help you mature your faith? If you find a struggle, if you fall into a struggle right now, and you say, God, take the struggle away, and God says, okay, boom, and it's gone, did it grow your faith? Did it mature your faith? Did it help you become better? Think about all the news stories or TV shows that show a wealthy kid mess up in life. Maybe they are even taken to jail or whatever, and their parents come, and they fix everything. They pay people off, and they go home scots-free. What does that child learn? Do they change their attitude? Do they grow? and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Or will they think, hey, my parents fixed everything, so I guess 
It's going to be okay. I can continue living the life that I live because I know someone's going to come, swoop down, clean everything up, and everything will be better, right? Now, my son, Ryan, he asked me a lot of questions. My family asks me a lot of questions. They think I'm Google sometimes, right? They, like, they ask me questions that I will not know the answer to, and they still ask me, right? Um, but one day, we're driving to school, and uh, Ryan asked me a question. He saw... Uh, uh, a dog going poop on the street and uh, the owner of the dog cleaning it up, okay? And so uh, Ryan asked me, do you have to clean up the dog poop? And I said, you don't have to, I guess, technically. You don't have to, but you should, right? You should. I said, okay. And then he asked me, then why is there still dog poop on the street? if people should be cleaning it up. Right? He asked me that, and I, I said, well, why do you think there's still dog poop on the street? Right? And he said, I don't know, that's why I'm asking you. I was like, no, just think about it. Why do you think there's still dog poop on the street? And my wife said, don't fight with him, just give him the answer. Right? Just tell him. And I was like, I don't want to tell him. I want him to think about it, critical thinking, deduction, and figure it out, right? Like, oh, maybe because some people don't clean up the poop. That's why there's still dog food. That's, right? That's why it's still there, right? And I wanted him to think about it and figure it out as opposed to me saying it's because people don't clean up. They just leave it there, right? If he comes to me with his homework, Dad, what's, what's three times three? Nine. What's 40 divided by 10? Four. And I give him all the answers. Okay, thanks. He's writing it all down. Does he learn anything? No. You have to practice and learn and make the mistakes and, and get through it to actually learn your multiplication table and learn and figure things out in this life. So James says, if you have to pray, when you pray in your difficulties, ask God for wisdom. And he doesn't say, ask God to take away the suffering. He says, ask God for wisdom so you know and learn why I'm going through this, why I'm facing this right now. And at the end, you say, aha, this is what it was to grow me, to make me better, to mature my faith so that I could trust him more that this small hardship will help me to overcome the larger hardships that can come in the future of my life. That's why we don't pray, or we might pray, God, take this away. But if you don't take it away, please help me to understand why this is going on in my life right now. That's why we, he says, pray for that wisdom. Verses 6 to 8 says, but let him ask in faith. Ask for wisdom in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is telling us, don't just ask for wisdom, wisdom, but in faith know that when you ask God for the understanding, for the clear picture of why this is happening in your life, that you will receive that answer. Yeah, you will receive that answer. Have faith in that, that God will grant you this request. Know in faith that God will grant you what you ask for. Do not doubt. Do not turn and focus on something else. Do not be double-minded and unstable, right? Don't say, ask for wisdom. Are you going to give me wisdom? I don't know if you're going to give me wisdom. I really want that wisdom. But maybe you're not going to give me wisdom. Are you going to give me wisdom? 
Have faith that God will give it to you, right? Don't be like the wind and the wave that's being tossed back and forth. Think about Peter's test of faith. When he saw Jesus walking on water, and he says, hey, Jesus, is that really you? I'm going to call me out, and I'll walk on the water towards you. And Jesus says, come. And what happened? Did he fall in the water? Not right away. He didn't get out of the boat and go, Bloop. right? He started walking on the water. Why? Because he was focused on Jesus. I know, okay, I see Jesus. That really is Jesus. Oh, crap, I'm walking on water. Wow. When did he fall in the water? When he says, when he saw the wind, when he saw the waves, when he saw everything around him, right? Oh, crap, I'm walking on water? What's that? When he took his focus off of Jesus is when he started to fall. So when we ask God for wisdom, and we ask God, hey, are you there during this trial? You keep your focus on God. You don't turn it somewhere else. You don't make it wander and waver, no matter what the world tells you. Hey, look, it's getting harder now. Ooh, it's getting worse. Ooh, look at this. Turn somewhere else for your help. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes ahead. When you're in a race, they say, don't look behind you. Right? When you're in a race and you see it's just you in the finish line in front of you, what's something you're not supposed to do? You're not supposed to look back and see how far behind the other people are. Why? Because that split second of looking back slows you down just enough where somebody could pass you up. You keep on looking ahead. You keep on looking to the goal. So stay focused on Jesus and don't turn to other things. Verses 9 through 11 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. It flowers, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now what does this mean? This kind of seems um, out of place, right? Why is James all of a sudden talking about a lowly brother, a rich person? And basically, James is echoing one theme in the Bible that tells us how the humble, the poor, will be raised up and exalted, and how the rich and the powerful will be humbled and humiliated. James is giving an example of one of the greatest tests in the world, one of the greatest trials we face in life, and that is money. Money. We all need money. Right? We all need money, but that should not be our ultimate goal, nor should it be our security blanket, whether you're rich or you're poor. Rather, security for both the rich and the poor is found in God alone. For both the rich and poor shouldn't put faith in money, what they have or do not have, but they should put their faith in God. And that's why James says the low brother, the brother should boast, the poor brother should boast in his eventual exaltation because when we do not have much, what happens? We rely on God. Right? We turn to God. Likewise, the rich brother should boast in his humiliation. His faith should not should tell him, his faith should tell him his money, his wealth can fade like the flower that dies in the heat, but his riches in Christ will never fail. 
Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. It's okay to be rich, but do not boast in your wealth. Do not trust in your wealth. Rather, a wealthy person should boast or trust in knowing the Lord. Whether you have or have not, do not put your faith in that, but put your faith in God. God is the great equalizer. You may have a lot of money or a little money. Each person's circumstance is different. You may have a lot now that could turn to little. You can have a little now that could turn to much. But God is for everyone at all times. He's the great equalizer. That is why we put our faith in him. And finally, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If you remain faithful until the end, you'll receive the crown of life that has been promised to all believers. That is the final joy that we have. You will face trials. You will face sufferings. You will face hardships. But how do you react to them? Seek God's wisdom to face your trials with joy joy, and grow and mature your faith. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, faced his trial as well. Think about the suffering that he faced, knowing that his purpose in life was to die for all of us. All the sin and the judgment that was meant for you and for me and for all humans on, the, on earth throughout all time was thrust upon Jesus, that his heavenly Father will not have him escape that fate, but have him face it for our sake. That he will be slapped, he will be beaten, he will be stripped, crushed by a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross, humiliated and defeated. Yes, there's a trial of suffering, all of that, but there's also the knowledge throughout his life that he would have to face this suffering. But he did it anyway. He went through it. He suffered. He died. And he resurrected so that all of us can be saved. All who believe in this can be saved. And after we face all the trials that's meant for us to face on earth, we will also receive the crown of life that God promised us, the crown that he gave his son. That's why he said in the beginning of our passage, count it as joy when you suffer. Joy because your faith will grow, but also joy because in the end you gain eternity with God, just like Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who was who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This joy set before him, the joy of reuniting with God in heaven, his Father in heaven, that is a joy that we have to look forward to. Yes, it's hard facing trials. Yes, it's hard living this life. But what wisdom we should be able to face all that comes our way. You know, some people say that the overall theme of the book of James is Christian living, how to live this Christian life. Some have even argued it's about Christian maturity. 
and how to mature your faith. And I even wrestled with the title of my sermon today, should it be joy and suffering? And I just was, should it be maturing your faith? Because I think that's a, a better way to look at it, right? How to mature my faith. Living a life of action that grows you and matures you, right? And that's our hope here at NCF too, right? What's our theme that we share every year? Grow up in the gospel to go out with the gospel, right? To grow up, to mature in the gospel, to go out and share it. PJ is also in the middle of his Mets series, Members Equipped to Serve Sermon Series. You need to be mature to equip yourself and mature to serve others, right? We want you to mature and grow in your faith. But as James points out, the way to maturity is by going through the trials in life. No one wants hardships, but we face them anyway. We've all had loved ones that are sick, that were sick, have went through sickness. We've went through sickness. In Korea, there's a saying about kids. You might have heard that before. And what it means is your kids, they get sick, they get over it, and they grow. Right? They go through a time of sickness, and then they get better from that sickness, and they grow. Right? And James is saying something similar here. Here, Our trials helps us grow. You go through a trial, and it should help us grow. You go through the next trial, and it should help us grow. So find the joy in suffering, because eventually it helps you grow. Know that whatever suffering or trial you are in, it will pass. And when you stand tall through it all, you will receive your crown. John Piper says this, Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or the fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. What is he saying? Every moment of your pain, suffering that is brought about because of our sinful and broken world, living and enduring through this sinful and broken world in faith will bring you a glory that is the eternity in heaven with God, the crown of life. So persevere and be faithful until the end. Know that your trials are not meaningless. They're there to build you up, to grow and mature your faith, and help others go through their trials. As I shared a few weeks ago, be an encourager, help each other stand. Right Before the, my sermon, Pastor John came up and said he was supposed to give the sermon today, <laughs> but something came up for his family, and so I'm giving the sermon. Right? He, call, he texted uh, the staff about something on Thursday, and I called him right then and there. I said, hey, John, you're going through something, Pastor John. <laughs> you're going through something. Uh, I'll do the sermon this week. Don't worry about it. Don't, just focus on what you got to do. I'll, I'll take care of the sermon. And he's like, are you sure? Yeah. Don't worry, I, I got it, right? And he didn't tell me this, but I assume it was a big encouragement to him, right? Because he could focus on what he needed to take care of, right? Oh, yeah, I trust Charles to take care of this, and I could focus on this, right? And that's what we do when we face trials. Oh, you're facing through something? Okay, help me. I'll take care of this for you so you can face your trial. I'll lift this burden up off of you so you could take care of this, right? And we try to make it easier, for each other to face their trials and mature their faith, right? Two weeks ago, that's what I shared. Encourage each other so you guys could go through that faith trial, right? I'm saying you're sharing it again. 
so that people can understand the trials that we face is to bring us the joy of heaven, the joy of maturing our faith. Seek God's wisdom in the testing of your faith. Know that it will mature you. And for that reason, you will know to find the joy in your suffering because it will grow you and it will give you the promised crown of life. Let's pray together.